All right, amen. Before we get going, do you guys make a lot of decisions? We as human beings do make a lot of decisions. On average, it's a rough estimate that the average adult makes 35,000 decisions each day. Think about that for a second. Now, not like, you know, big major decisions, but just everyday decisions. You know, what time are we going to get up in the morning? You know, am I going to hit the snooze button? Am I going to hit it twice? Am I going to hit it three times? Am I going to elbow my spouse to make sure that they get out of bed? Um, what am I going to do when I get up in the morning? What am I going to have for breakfast? What am I going to eat? What time am I going to leave for work? When am I going to get there? What am I going to do while I'm there? What am I going to do with my breaks? And so you can see how those decisions kind of add up. And you can see on average, let's say 35,000. I don't know if I have make 35,000 decisions, but we do make a lot of decisions. And those decisions are kind of guided by a framework of, of what we believe to be true or um, just a mindset of when we make decisions. Um, when I make a decision to go get ice cream, um, I'm making that decision because I love ice cream. And uh, we typically make decisions based on uh, what is good for us. And that's kind of primarily how we make a lot of our decisions. Um, most of the time, though, uh, some of our decisions don't always involve the best for other people. And you've probably been on one side or another of that um, equation, whether you've making the decisions that haven't benefited someone else or someone else has made a decision that hasn't really uh, benefited you. Like the one time where I went and stopped and got ice cream because my wife said, yeah, I could get ice cream on my diet. And I came home and she's like, well, where's my ice cream? <laughs> that would be a, a poor decision on multiple occasions. Um, but I was not making that decision for the good of my wife, for the good of others. I was making that decision for the good of, of myself. And so you can kind of see where I'm going. We make decisions. We're a part of decisions. Our decisions uh, give us the choice to enact um, what we do. And so those decisions are natural for us to seek our own good. Well, in those decisions, it's natural for us to do, uh, to say, to think, what brings glory to ourselves. Uh, it's not too hard to be selfish, am I right? Yeah, right. It's, it's, I don't have to work hard at making decisions that are best for me. And to glorify means uh, to feel, to act in a way that makes much of something. And then in our case, ourselves, maybe you glorify your favorite sports teams, or maybe you glorify a specific restaurant, or maybe you glorify... Um, I don't know, a movie or, or whatever. We, when we glorify, we think, feel, and act in a way that makes much of something. And most of the time, for our case, it's ourselves. And that's not necessarily a typical, you know, it's not real bad, but it's not ideal. It's not good. And so this actually is problematic when we're faced with decisions and we're left with, am I going to do what is good for me? Or am I going to do what's good for someone else? Am I going to do what's good for the glory of God, or am I going to do what's good for myself? And as a believer, we are um, gifted, commanded everything that God has done, his character, who he is, what he's done for us in Jesus, demands that we make much of Jesus, that we think about him every time we can, that we, that we act in such a way, that we feel towards him to bring much of him. And so as believers, that's, that's naturally what we're called to do based on who God is, but I don't know if, if you are in the same boat that I am, but I wrestle with, man, I do want to glorify God, but man, my stomach also is, is in there and it loves the ice cream. 
Or it's, we, we wrestle with that natural tension of, okay, do we glorify God? Do we do everything for him? But then how do I make much of Jesus when I am so often tempted and subconsciously to make much of myself? And then you think about, okay, am I doing good for others? And so there's this, there's this tension. And so whether we're trying to, to please God and do that, or maybe we're just, we just don't glorify the Lord. It's just we haven't come to the point where we're doing what's best uh, to glorify and to make much of Jesus or what's good for other people, but we're just, we're just doing what glorifies us. And so that's the question, that's the problem that, that I wrestle with, and I don't know if you wrestle with it as well, but in all of humanity wrestles with this question, who are we going to make much of? And what decisions am I going to make? What framework am I going to use to apply those decisions to be glorify God, to do good for others, and what's beneficial for myself. And so that's kind of the, the summary of, of where we're going to be talking about this morning. And Paul finishes uh, his section in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 11.1 1 on this. We've been talking about food being offered to idols. And if you've been here with us, we started in chapter 8 and we're working our way through. And today we're going to talk about the end of that kind of Paul's closing. He's wrapping that um, discussion up. But I don't know about you, but I don't run into food being sacrificed to idols and whether I should eat it or not. Um, I don't know if you do that. Uh, maybe if we were going on a mission trip and we were going to uh, a country that that's part of their culture. So the question is, I don't, I don't eat food sacrificed to idol, so what does this mean for me? Because we know that the Bible is relevant, it's authoritative, it applies to everything in our life. But what about this food sacrificed to idols? Really, it has to deal with our, our freedom as believers to discern and to use those freedoms to glorify God and to be to be with good for others. And so we're going to look at that, and that's kind of the, the closing section of that this morning. So in your Bibles, chapter 10, verses 23 to 11.1, I'm going to read that. It's going to be on the screen, and then we're just going to kind of break this apart and see what the Lord has for us this morning. All right, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11.1. I have the right to do everything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. And I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in a meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Now, this is probably one of the most famous verses uh, in the Bible. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greek, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, and so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ." So here we have Paul kind of addressing this meat offered to idols, and he's giving us uh, a biblical principle that seek the good of others, not yourself. 
Seek the good of others, not yourself. It's easy to seek the good of ourselves and not others, but Paul is encouraging, he's commanding, he's telling us, seek the good of others, not for yourself. It's a, it's a mental shift, it's an outlook shift, it's a worldview shift. So the Corinthians, in your Bible, it may have quotes under, I have the right to do anything. Uh, there may be quotes in there because Paul's referring to the slogan that the Corinthians have been thrown around. Uh, you see that in chapter uh, 6, verse 12, I have the right to do anything. And so they're using this slogan, they're using really their freedom in Christ to give them jurisdiction to do whatever they want, regardless of the consequences. I have the right to do this, or I have the freedom to do that. And so they're throwing that around and they're actually not um, glorifying God in that. They're not seeking the good of others. They're seeking the good of themselves and they're actually um, stirring the Lord to jealousy. You can see that in verse uh, 22. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? He's like, oh, we don't want to do that. And so Paul here is, is correcting their thinking. Now he, he gives this slogan. He says, okay, yeah, you use that slogan, but let me, let me explain this. Everything may, be benef- everything may be free to do, but not everything, he uses the word beneficial. Your other translations maybe say profitable or helpful. And it's saying, okay, it's not of benefit, it's not really helpful in what we want to accomplish. It's used of like gathering sticks, like we want to be helpful in gathering sticks. And so it's like, it's not helpful. Because we know we can do whatever we want, per se, anything in regards of what the Bible says is okay, um, and what the Bible says you can't do. There's, there's a, some freedom there. And so he says, you can do anything within that bound. It's not say you can do anything regardless of what the Bible says, but in those bounds. But in their freedom, they're using that to justify uh, their selfish behavior. And he, they're throwing that around. And he asks, like, ev- you can do everything, but it's not beneficial, right? So uh, I have the freedom to eat ice cream every single night. But it's probably not going to be helpful. Maybe helpful for my waistline, but not helpful for my overall health, all right? So there's things that are, that are beneficial that we are able to do, but not all are helpful or beneficial, and he says the same word again, and he says uses constructive. So he says the same s- slogan, and then he uses is not constructive. Or maybe in your other translation, it's build up or edify. And this is the goal of the good of others. So to build up, it's to promote growth in Christian wisdom, love, grace, virtue, holiness, or blessedness. So is it constructive? Is it profitable? Is it building one another up in those things? So there's a, a sense where it's, it's an individual, is it helpful, beneficial? Does it build me up in my Christian growth? And is it beneficial or helpful for someone else? Does it build them up? Does it encourage them? Does it promote, does it help them become more like Jesus? And so that's kind of the, 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 the pattern then. And then he says, um, he says this, Whatever, no one should seek their own good but the good of others. And that's the biblical principle here. He's proposing this biblical principle to help them know what to do in situations that's like, ah, well, there's some freedom here. What should I do specifically in meat offered to idols? And then he gives them three situations that we're going to walk through, three different types of situations. So the first one, verse 25, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's a little bit background. So um, if there was temple worship, they would use sacrifices and then they would eat that meat. Um, but then the leftovers that they would take and give to the, the butcher or take it to the meat market. So then anybody had the opportunity to go and be like, yeah, I'll take, you know, a T-bone, 12 ounce, get that for me. They'll wrap it up and they'll take it home. 
And so what he's saying is he's addressing the Christian who their conscience is like, well, can I eat that? Can I eat the, the, the meat that's been offered to idols? And so in their conscience, they, they couldn't. But Paul's saying, you can eat that. You can eat anything sold in the market. So when you go down, you go to Weiss or whatever, and you say, hey, I'll take that T-bone. You don't have to say, hey, oh, by the way, did you get that from the temple? Did you get that from, like, you don't have to ask because he says this and he quotes the scripture. He says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So that's in quotations because that's from Psalm 24, verse 1. So in that believer's conscience, he's um, adjusting their conscience. He's informing their conscience. He's teaching their conscience through God's word saying, everything is the Lord's, the earth and everything in it. So go ahead and eat that. And don't feel bad. Don't let your conscience feel bad about that. Now that's, that brings up the word conscience. So he's correcting the conscience. Our consciences, uh, the inner moral compass within us, um, is very helpful. It's very useful in our Christian walk. But it is not perfect. Our Christian consciences are not perfect. Because maybe in our, in our growing up, there's a lot of factors that... In, uh, involve our forming of our conscience, whether that's our upbringing, whether that's our church life, um, but our consciences, whether they don't know the biblical truth, they're, they're ignorant of it, or they're just misinformed. And so Paul, for that Christian, is informing the, the believer that his conscience should allow him to do this because the Bible says it's okay, because the earth is the Lord and everything in it. So he's correcting their conscience. It's not 100% perfect all the time, and our conscience must be informed by God's word. Our consciences must be informed by God's word, which is Paul. what Paul's doing here. He's quoting from Psalms. And our consciences must also be guided by the spirit of God. Because if they're not informed by the word of God, they'll be informed by other things, whether good or bad. And if they're not guided by the spirit of God, they'll be guided by other things that are not necessarily good or bad. So our consciences must, we need to follow our consciences, we need to listen to our consciences as they um, are shaped and molded by God's word. So then he gives a second scenario. So you, you go to the meat market, that's fine, you can get it, you can go home, you can eat the T-bone, you can eat the ground meat, whatever, it, it's okay because everything is the Lord. Thank the Lord for it, worship, and enjoy it. But the second situation is in verse 27. So, so, so if an unbeliever invites you to a meal, and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So here we have a situation where an unbeliever invites you over for a meal, someone who doesn't hold to your faith tradition, who, who isn't following the, the Lord. He, he says you're able to eat whatever is served to you without asking questions because your conscience is clear. So he's helping this believer inform him, hey, if you go over to someone's house and they give you a nice big juicy prime rib, you don't have to say, oh, hey, just, just clarifying, does this, where'd you get this? Was it offered to idols? He's like, don't bother asking the question. We know your conscience is, is allowing you to do that because it's informed by God's word. Everything is in it. So it's good. So that's the second situation. And then the third situation is, uh, is, is a, a scenario that happens in the second. So say you, verse 27, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is before you without raising questions. But verse 28, here's kind of like an exception if what happens. If someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the other sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. And he clarifies, I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. 
because this believer has had his conscience informed by the word of God and he can eat the meat. So you're at uh, an unbeliever, someone who's not a part of God's family, invites you over, serves you a big juicy T-bone, and you're about ready to dive into it, and someone says, oh, by the way, that was sacrificed. They informed you that it was in sacrifice to idols. And so now you have a choice. Do I eat it or do I not eat it? You're in a situation where you need wisdom, you need your conscience, you need God's word. And so this is what he says. He says, don't eat it. Simple. If it comes to your attention and you're aware that it's been offered to idols and they let you know, don't eat it. And so some of you will be like, oh man, you had to say that? You know, that was a good, but then the Bible says do not eat it. He's setting them up to be able to respond correctly. And again, it's not because of the believer's conscience, because it's okay for him, but in that situation, someone else's conscience, in the context it can refer to that unbeliever, or it can refer to another believer. But it's someone else's conscience that's like, hey, I don't know if you should, and that's been offered to idols. So let me help you illustrate this, because again, I haven't been in this situation, and has anybody else been in this situation with meat sacrifice to idol? Okay. Right, so then it's, I'm thinking, I'm racking my brain. Okay, the Bible is true. It applies to me. What could be another situation or example? Well, I was thinking, okay, so what if someone says, hey, come over, you have dinner, you eat, and says, hey, we're going to watch a movie. You know, it's uh, whatever movie it is, and you have the freedom to watch that movie. Um, and then they're like, oh, hey, by the way, whether the host says this or your buddy says, oh, hey, there's a lot of inappropriate things like there's a lot of language in that movie. And they're asking that because for their conscience, they don't want to put something before you that causes you to, to trip up. So it's like, oh, hey, uh, thanks so much. Maybe can we watch another movie? Or hey, let's, let's play a game or go for a walk or go grab some ice cream. You know, maybe offer a solution, you know. Okay, you know. But the idea is that they brought it up because they don't want to offend you or they don't want to cause you to sin but they don't know that it's okay for you. So you just say, hey, I'm not going to eat it. You kind of, you put it off. Or say someone says, hey, we're going away for a long weekend and we're going and we're going to go to the shore. We're going on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'll be back Monday. You have the freedom to do that. Obviously, there's church in there, but you have the freedom to um, miss church once in a while. It shouldn't become a habit, but you do have that freedom, right? Uh, I don't think, I don't know if my bosses will enjoy me saying that, but you do have a freedom, right? You have a choice, and so they're like, go and you have fun, you go to the shore, it's great. Your conscience is okay, you're allowed to miss church once in a while, um, as long as you don't make it a habit, right? And Hebrews says that. So it's fine, go, enjoy, have a good time. You know, maybe get up, read your Bible on the beach, whatever you want to do. But if someone says to you, whether you're going with someone or even the person that invited you, hey, we're going, going away for the weekend, we would love to have you to come, it's Friday, Saturday, we're going to go over Sunday, we'll be back Monday. okay. Oh, well, wait, hey, don't, don't you have church? Don't you go to church? And so they're asking that, like, hey, I don't want you to, like, have to miss something that you've, you've committed to, something that's a part of, of who you are. And so in that sense, you're like, yeah, you know what? I'd really like to go to the beach, and I could, but you know what? Maybe I'll just go Friday, Saturday, come home Saturday night, or, you know what, maybe we can go another time uh, during a long weekend or something like that. 
So the idea is, is giving up your right for the sake of the other person's conscience because you don't want somebody to have to be like, oh man, or like, you know, it's like if someone's allergic to peanuts and you have them over and you're having like, you know, peanut butter sandwiches and it's like, uh, you know, man, do, do they like that? You know, you don't want to have to go through that mental struggle of putting someone in a position that you don't want them to be in. And that's what Paul is saying. So he's, he's setting that up and he says, hey, in that case, give up your rights, don't do it. But hold on, you may be saying, wait a minute, did, did Paul just say that? Am I going to give up my right to do that? And then this is why the end of verse 29 and verse 30, he says, for why am my freedom being judged by another person's conscience? If I take part in me with thankfulness, why am I denounced for something I get thank God for? Why is my freedom of going to, uh, going to the shore being judged by someone else? And it's uh, Paul's refuting the yeah buts. Because there's some yeah buts when it comes up to giving our rights to people. Ah, oh, man. Did he really? Why, why can't I eat this steak? Why, why can't I watch that? Why can't I go there? And Paul's saying there's going to be some object, objections to that. And he, and he asks a rhetorical question. So why should my freedom be judged by another man's conscience? Well, we can already answer that because we want to seek the good of others, not our own. Why should I take part in a meal with thankfulness? Why am I denounced because of this? Because we want to build them up. We want to be helpful to them. We want to do that in love. So most of the time when our rights get infringed on, we justify it by how we're responding to it. But God, the Bible, Paul is saying, you need to respond to, to them. You need to love them for that. And so he applies this principle and he's refuting that potential argument or self-interest and he brings the objections so that he can say, what's, what's really important here? What's really important? And then he goes in verse 31, he kind of summarizes this up. He summarizes this principle. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Like, do all for the glory of God. And in this context, glorifying God is loving someone else and being willing to give up your right, commanded to give up your rights for them. Now, does this mean, well, we'll get, we'll get to there. So, it says, do not cause anyone to stumble. Don't cause anyone to stumble. And then the argument is like, okay, well, if someone gets offended by this or that, and it's not uh, an offense, it not, has nothing to do with... Um, causing someone to be offended. The, the idea here of stumble is don't do anything that would be harmful to another person, spiritually harmful. So if, like, again, if someone sees you go into the temple and participate uh, and eat the food offered to idols, and they're like, oh, he, he goes to Heritage, he went down and he went in there and ate that meat, and then they go like, hey, I'm gonna go participate in pagan worship and I'm gonna eat it, and they, they start loose tracking and they don't have the, the maturity or they don't understand the full situation they, that could be really harmful to someone. Or if you're recommending a movie or you're watching a movie and it's, you know, there's strong language in that person, that causes them to, to start using strong language or that, you know, it causes them to, to fall into a sin, then we don't want to do that because we want to do what's beneficial. We're looking out for their good. We're looking out for other people. And so don't cause anyone, don't cause harm, spiritual harm, 
going against their conscience harm to anyone, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. There are three, they're classifying everybody into three groups. You're either a Jew, you're either a non-Jew, or you're a Christian. And so it's anyone, regardless of who they are. Back up in verse, it says, do not seek your own good, but the good of others. That word other is generic for, for anybody. You want to seek everybody's good, no matter who they are. Your translation might say neighbor, and we know from our class that neighbor, it, it revolves to any person, not just you know, a physical neighbor or not just um, somebody in your church. And so he does that. And he says, even as I try to please everyone in any way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but for the good of many, so that they may be saved. And Paul's giving an example. He's saying, this is what I'm doing. He's like, I try to please everyone in every way. Is Paul a people pleaser? That's not good, right? We don't want to please people. We don't want to, you know, we, when we think more about what other people think rather than what God's thinking. No, it's not. Paul's not being a people pleaser. Paul is trying to, to please them over pleasing himself. So instead of being individual pleasers, we ought to be people pleasers. That's what he's saying. He makes every effort, even as, you can hear it in his voice, even as I try to please everyone in every way, whatever my rights, I want to give them up so I can please everybody, so I can serve everyone. For he says, I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many. And then, for the unbeliever, he's saying, so that they may be saved so that they may be saved, so that I have an opportunity to share the gospel, so that I have an opportunity to glorify God in my actions. Um, I stopped drinking coffee. <gasps> stopped drinking caffeinated coffee. Actually, I talked with Jerry Kashuba, and we talked over in, in uh, 1 Corinthians where it says not everything is lawful. I have the freedom to drink coffee, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything. And he's like, yeah, I, just, I was making a cup of coffee. I'm like, I don't want to be mastered by that. So that God put that in my mind, and I'm thinking like, oh, man, you know what, I, I'm just, caffeine, yeah, I'm, I'm not getting, I'm not feeling too well. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I was addicted to caffeine. Addicted for the caffeine high. I was addicted. And you know what, it's beneficial, I can drink it, but you know what, I don't want to be mastered by it. I don't want to be mastered by it. So I gave up caffeine. So if Starbucks comes to you, Jerry, and you know, I think you can, you can fend them off. So I drink decaf. So here's an illustration, I go, to the sunrise quite often, like so many of you. And Dawn, at the sunrise, she was made to have a diner. She was just made to be hospitable to have a diner. And so you go in, and uh, she always gets me a water and a coffee. So I sit down, she brings it right over, I don't even have to ask. Um, and so the principle here of like, okay, so she comes and she brings it down. Oh man, I just made this commitment. I'm like, ah, I'm gonna be free from caffeine. I'm not gonna be addicted. Caffeine. It's like, ah, what do I do? Uh, I drink decaf. You know, it's like, hey, can you bring me a new one? You know, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to cause any problems. I don't want to craze a rough. I don't want her to think I'm a grouchy Christian or, you know, all this stuff. So, I'm, so I just, just sipped a little bit. And that's probably the, the least amount and the slowest drinking coffee I've ever drinking in my life. And so I'm like, you know what? I'll tell her next time. And then I'll, I'll just do that. I'll walk in, I forget. I forget things. Walk into the next couple days. She does it again. It's like, oh, man. A little sip here, a little sip there, you know. And finally, you know, I'm having breakfast with some guys. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be late. So ask her to bring a decaf. Okay, so I do that. And I'm like, hey, is this decaf? Like, are you sure this is decaf? Are you sure you ordered that? Because I don't, I don't, you know, don't want to do this. They're like, yeah. 
And we had a great conversation with Don and I about, hey, I don't want to be mastered by this. It was, it was addictive, and I just I don't want to put myself in that posi- position. And so I had an opportunity to share a little bit, not the full gospel, but a little bit of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so the, the principle is we're seeking the good of others. I was, I was seeking the good of Dawn by not offending her so that I have the opportunity to share the gospel with her in the future. So that's just another illustration. Because we, uh, we don't eat meat sacrificed to idol. So what are the things in our lives that we, we can be flexible with so that we can do good to others and that we have an opportunity to save them? It's a good question. Think through it. And then he says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that's the point. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And he just doesn't limit it to eat and drink. He puts all in there. Like everything. Like everything. 100% of everything that you do, do for the glory of God. Now that is a tall order. That is a tall order. But as believers, as Christians, we can do everything for the glory of God. Can you wash the dishes for the glory of God? Can you work to the glory of God? Can you drink coffee to the glory of God if you are so? Can you brush your teeth for the glory of God? Can you make decisions based on the glory of God? And in this context, doing all for the glory of God involves giving up your rights for someone else, not impending them. Doing the glory of God. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Well, first of all, Paul gives us an example. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. So Paul's like saying, hey, I'm doing this. You see see this in my life. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. So not only Paul does it, but Paul is following Christ's example. Now, some of you are like, well, why am I going to give up my rights? Or why do I want to even give God glory? One, you give God glory because God deserves glory. Who he is. He's holy He's justice, he's just, he's merciful, he's gracious because of who he is, but also because of what he's done. And that brings us to what he's done through Christ. Philippians says that Christ considered everything that he had, laid it down for the good of others. He gave up his rights. God himself, in the person of Jesus, gave up his right to be in heaven, to do all of that. He condescended himself, he made himself low, like just made himself dirt, literally, of dust, so that he could live on the earth, experience all the heartache, experience all of the, the sacrifice, experience all of the, 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 just the world system, persecution, backbiting, slander, gossip. You know, Christ gave all of that up so that he could do that, live a perfect, sinless life, die in our place, go to the cross, he was beaten, he was scorned, you know, he was just ridiculed, spit upon, he was nailed to a cross, and he died. He was buried, and he rose again, and appeared to other people. Think about that. Think about what Christ, what God, the creator of the universe, did for us. That is why we are to glorify God. See, we all deserve to be in hell, removed from God, in punishment forever. You know, we deserve the consequences of our actions. But God, through Christ, 
laid aside all of his rights so that he could seek, so he could glorify God by following his will and providing, seeking our own good salvation for us so that we can be with God and have our sins forgiven. We don't no longer have to work our way to try to get rid of our shame and our guilt and to, to cover up all the, the bad things that we've done. We're not going to have to pay for all the bad things we've done before God because we're going to stand there, those of us who, who know and love Christ, who have accepted what he's done for us, accepted his death for our sin, we're going to be able to stand before God and praise him all eternity when we should be in hell punish, being punished for our sin. That is why we are to glorify God. Like your life is not your own. Those of you who've been, uh, for, those of you who've been saved, who have accepted the message of Jesus, your life is not our own. We were bought with a price, right? Yeah, so therefore we glorify God. Everything, everything we do. And that comes into the wrestle because it's like, well, it's my life. This is my life, my job, my free time, my decisions. And God is saying like, hey, lay that down. Anything that you do, even in your freedoms, you can glorify God. You can enjoy him. But when it comes to people and they're not quite where you're at, he says, give it up and you can glorify God because we follow Christ's example. So we do all for the glory of God. Okay. So what do we need to do? We need to do all for the glory of God. And I know sometimes we face decisions. This, I came across this in my study. Um, really helpful. It's a handout. It's back on the Welcome Center. Decision-making in the context of food being offered to idols. Here we go. Does the Bible allow it? If the Bible allows me to do it, it doesn't command against it. It says, be away, don't be away from that. If the Bible allows me to do it, if the Bible does not allow me to do it, no, don't do it. Plain and simple. But if the Bible does allow it, yes, then we have another question to ask. Does my conscience allow it? Because if, if our conscience won't let us do it, we cannot do it. We can't go against our conscience. To him who knows what is right and does not do it, to him who does sin. We can't go against our conscience. We're sinning against our conscience. So does my conscience allow it? No, don't do it. My conscience would not let me dump out my coffee and say, hey, can you give me decaf? My conscience wouldn't do it, so I didn't do it. But if my conscience does allow me to do it, so the Bible allows me, my conscience allows me, then here's the next question. Now, this is our area of freedom. So this is the area of Christian freedom that we have, okay? Because the Bible allows it, my conscience allows it. And in that, we have some questions to consider. Three further questions. One, what is the effect on other Christians? Because I can do it. I've got the freedom. The Bible says I can. My conscience says I can. But is it beneficial? And does it build up? Because love is more important than knowledge. And this is back, we heard this message about it, where love, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So is it, is it going to have, is the effect going to be, is it going to build up another Christian? I'm going to do it. Does it not build up? Not going to do it, even though I have the area of freedom to do it. Love is more important than knowledge. Number two, what is the effect on non-Christians? 
What is the effect on non-Christians? The gospel is more important than rights. The good news that happened to you and to me, who God is and what he's done, is way more important than my rights. Someone's eternal destiny is way more important than my rights. So his effect on non-Christians, is it going to feed to their stereotype that Christians are terrible people? They're unloving. I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. Is this going to give me an opportunity to further build relationship and to share God's love? I'm going to do it. Because the gospel is more important than rights. The third question, what is the effect on my own spiritual life? What's the effect on my own spiritual life? Spiritual health is more important than freedom. I'll be honest with you. Um, Don't typically watch rated R movies for a variety of reasons, but the movies that I were watching that were okay for me to watch, the Bible allowed me to watch it. There wasn't any uh, sexuality, any of that in there. Um, It was the language thing for me. Now, this is for me. It's not for anybody else. I found that when I got angry, certain words came to my mind that were not beneficial, that were not helpful. And I'm like, where are these words coming from? Well, it's coming from a, a, a movie that I was watching where there was some strong language in there. I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to do that. It is not worth me enjoying some two hours worth of action, you know, guns, cars, to fill my mind with things that could cause me to sin. Just not worth it. Our spiritual health is more important than our freedoms. What we do to, to further us, to make us more like Jesus, is way more important than my freedom. Because our freedom in that moment to do something could have an eternal impact. So what is, you know, uh, two hours of enjoying a movie or something that's going to benefit me for eternity. I wrestle with this too in terms of my free time. I got a free time. There's a couple episodes of Star Wars that I want to watch. And I'm like, okay, watch one episode, all right. Okay, now where it's like uh, two episodes, I'm like, man, I probably really should do something that's more spiritually productive for me. And in my conscience was like, hey, buddy, so I need to listen to my conscience and and do that because it's spiritually healthy. Do I have the freedom to watch Star Wars 24-7? No, okay. Do I have the freedom to watch Star Wars like in my free time? You know, yeah. But am I doing what's spiritually healthy more important than my freedom? And that's at the bottom because we need to first see what its effect on other Christians, on non-believers, and obviously God is first. Does this glorify God? Can I enjoy this with him? And then us at the end. We used to do a thing at Heritage called MG3 Missions. MG3 Missions. So it's uh, MG squared. So there's MG, MG, MG. So it was maximum glory to God. Am I doing whatever is the maximum glory to God? The second MG was maximum good to others. Is this doing the most good to others? And then the third MG3 was maximum growth for myself. So when we make these decisions, yeah, we have the freedom to do it, but Paul is saying, okay, here's some things to consider with those things. So what do we do? We do all for God's glory. This is how we can, in decisions, do that. So if you're an unbeliever, one, for Christians, this is for us. If you're an unbeliever, if you don't know Christ, if you've not personally accepted him as your savior for what he's done for you, 
You can start now to give God glory by believing and accepting his son. You can do that. And then you are set up for a life to be able to glorify God because we're not able to glorify God without being first a child of God. Number two, give up your rights if doing so will build up rather than harm fellow believers. Give them up. Paul says it. Give up your rights or do not eat it. Give up the right you have if it would harm a fellow believer. Number three, give up your rights if that will advance the gospel among unbelievers. Give them up. Give it up for an opportunity. You don't just give it up and be like, ah, oh, man, this is, uh. Give it up and then use it for an opportunity to share the gospel. And number four, calibrate your conscience so that you can strategic, with biblical truth, so that you can strategically accommodate others for the sake of the gospel. Now, there are some things our conscience that in our upbringing, uh, things are just, are, are not good. Our conscience has been calibrated where uh, the only example that I could think of was, um, you know, back in the day, it was like, it was a sin to, to go to the movie theater and to watch movies. That was a sin. It wasn't a sin. It was just, hey, we just don't do that. So it was a, a, a conscience. It was a preference. And so we need to make sure that our consciences and what we prefer, like I say, I don't watch movies with strong language in them or even language at all. So that's just for me. It's not for anybody else. That's just for me. We can't allow our conscience to um, impede someone else. Like it's, it's for us. But we need to calibrate it with, the, with biblical truth so that we can strategically accommodate others for the sake of the gospel. If an unbelieving friend wants to go watch a movie and it's an appropriate movie, you've looked at it, go. Do it. But if they say, if you're sitting there and they're like, oh man, this actually, I don't think this may be appropriate for Christians. Well, hey, thanks for sharing that. You know, I'm going to get up and I'll grab some popcorn and I'll see you after the movie. But we need to calibrate our conscience with biblical truth, not with any other truth, because there is none, not with someone else's opinion, but with biblical truth so that you can strategically accommodate that. And why do we need to do this? Why do we need to give up our rights? Why do we need to think through this? This, this is work. This is a mind shift. This, is, this isn't easy. Why are we to do it? Because of God's character, who he is. We are to glorify the Lord. Glorify is like um, to make much of something. So we're like mirrors. And our job is to, to glorify, is to show people how good and satisfying and all glorifying God is. That's what we're here to do. The chief end of all man is for the glory of God. That's why we're here. So are we doing that? Both God's character and his actions and his example of Christ on the cross is why we are to, to share the gospel and to do this and to be on mission. Jesus gave us an example. We see that in the verse. Jesus' example, ah, you know, he was God, he was man. He, you know, he was the God-man. I'm not Jesus, I can't do that. Well, Jesus was, you know, filled with his Holy Spirit. He's our example. You know, the bracelet, what would Jesus do? That's a great analogy. We've got to know what Jesus would do in those situations. But he's the God, oh, I can't do it. Well, Paul gave us as an example. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But you're like, oh, he was an apostle. He wrote the Bible. I, man, I can't, I'm not even coming close to that. He calls us to follow him. And if you still have, yeah, buts. I'll give you one more example. As you know, we've been praying for Marge McGrew. She's in the hospital, congestive heart failure. 
Um, she's probably going to come home early next week, go into rehab so she can come home, pray that that happens. But Marge McGrew is a great example. And so I met with her, went and visited with her, and she's, she's laying there. She's, she's like, yeah, pray for strength for me. I'm just holding on, you know, I'm ready for the Lord. I'm, I'm, re- I'm you know, reading Psalms. She's making sure her, you know, neighbor in the, the room knows the Lord. She's witnessing. So she's like, hey, how you doing? She's saying all that. I'm tired, you know, all of that. She graciously answered my questions. And the first thing out of her mouth when she could speak after answering my question was, who in our church needs prayer? Oh, who in our church needs prayer? You think she had the right to just lay there and, and get her strength to just do that? But she's like, who in our, well, I'm going to spend time praying for people in our church. Man, we need to follow Marge's example as she follows Christ. We can do that. And imagine, imagine what would be true of our church. Imagine how much glory we would give to the Lord if everything we do, we did to God's glory. That'd be a lot of glory, wouldn't it? That'd be a lot of glory. Think about how much good for others, seeking the good for others that we would have if we were willing, willing to, to lay down our rights. Think about all the love that would go around. It'd be like oozing out of this place. Think about all the interactions with unbelievers that we could have, the, the opportunities to share the gospel. If we were willing to say, you know what? I'm going to come out and serve or, or whatever it is. I'm going to do it for the sake to accommodate others for the gospel. Man, I believe God is, is positioning us to do much, to continue to do more. He already is, but to continue to do more for his kingdom. We just need to be willing to obey him and give him glory in everything that we do. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our freedoms that we have in Christ. Thank you for, for giving us freedom, first of all, for, from sin, that because of Jesus' obedience to you, your plan, following your plan and his sacrifice and him laying down our rights, that we now can, can be with you forever in eternity and we can live the abundant life that you've called us to live. Thank you for that. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word that reveals who you are and what you've done. Thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to glorify you, not just in some things, but in everything. In everything, we can glorify you. Give us wisdom as we seek to, okay, hey, how can I live my life to give you the most glory? Lord, thank you for the opportunity because you've restored us to you, our relationship with you. That restores us to our relationship with others. Thank you for the opportunity that we can seek the good of others. Help us to do that. It's hard. We acknowledge that we confess so many times when we don't do that. Lord, thank you for your grace that covers that. But would you give us, uh, through your spirit, just the opportunity to be aware. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to glorify you. Thank you for your word. Lord, right now we just want to pray for Marge McGrew. Lord, she is a dear, dear saint. And she has run the race. And we pray for strength and encouragement and endurance as she leaves the hospital and goes into rehab, but then to ultimately that she can come home. Thank you for her example. And Lord, so many other people in our church family, thank you for their faithful example that we can follow them. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.